In the holy name of Jesus, amen. Scene one, Jerusalem, about 590 BC. The last king of Judah is sitting on his throne. He is the last of the line of David. His kingdom is all but destroyed. This king does not even rule by his own authority, but he must swear allegiance to the king of Babylon. The Babylonians conquered Judah about nine years ago. The palace was plundered. The temple was ransacked. The structures remain, but they are mere shells of their former glory. All the soldiers, all the craftsmen, all the leading citizens of Jerusalem, and most of the royal family have all been taken to Babylon in exile. The only ones left are the poor and the weak and the sick. The man on the throne is Zedekiah. His name means, the Lord is my righteousness. But Zedekiah is not a righteous man. He should be tending to the needs of his people. He should be shepherding the flock under his care. Instead, Zedekiah is planning a rebellion. Zedekiah is not completely defeated. There is still fight left in him. He is 30 years old, in the prime of his life, and he is planning to rebel against Babylon to try to win back the wealth and the glory and the honor of the people of Israel. He wants to be their savior. There is another man in the throne room. He is an old man, and he has lived a hard life. His body bears the bruises and scars from many beatings. And yet he stands boldly before the king, and he speaks to him as no one else dares to speak to the king. He speaks with authority. He is no yes man. He is the Lord's man. He is a prophet, and his name is Jeremiah. The king is looking for good news, for a promise of deliverance, for a promise of salvation. Surely the Lord who promised this land to Abraham, who brought his people out of Israel, would support him in his rebellion. Surely the Lord would not allow his people to remain defeated. But Jeremiah has no such promises for the king. Instead, he speaks of war, destruction, and exile, and not of peace and prosperity. Jeremiah tells the king to repent and return to the ways of the Lord. He accuses the king of being the last in a long line of bad shepherds. David, on the other hand, had been a good shepherd, Zedekiah's forefather. David had shepherded the flocks of his father Jesse on the hills of Bethlehem, and then he had shepherded the people of Israel from the capital in Jerusalem. This is the kind of king that the people need. The poor, the weak, and the sick need a king who will care for them 
like a shepherd. And so Jeremiah does have a promise, but it's not the promise the king was expecting. The Lord will restore the line of David. He will send a new king. Zedekiah will not be the last of the kings. There will be a new king who will reign with wisdom, with justice, and with righteousness. He will save Judah, not just from Babylon, but from all their enemies. He will bring peace to his people. He will be the true Zedekiah, the Lord, our righteousness. Scene two, about 640 years later, 70 miles to the north. A lonely man stands by the shore of the lake. He has just received terrible news, news that grieves him deeply. His cousin and his friend from infancy has just been brutally executed. The most recent man to call himself king of that land is Herod Antipas. He does not rule by his own authority, but he must swear allegiance to the king in Rome. He is no son of David. He is the son of Herod the Great, the notorious tyrant. Like his father, Antipas is no righteous man. He has taken his brother's wife, and Antipas has his own prophet to deal with, an eccentric man named John, the last of the prophets to tell of the coming Messiah. John spoke with authority. He was not a yes man. He was the Lord's man. John spoke to the king as no one else dared to speak to him. He told the king to repent and return to the Lord. And for that, the king had him killed. As the news of this death reaches Jesus, this man by the lakeshore, he feels the need to be alone. The crowds are coming, and he knows that he will get no peace here. So Jesus and his disciples head into the boat and across the lake, looking for a place where they can be alone. And yet when they arrive on the other side of the lake, the crowd is already there, eager to meet him. They are the poor, the weak, and the sick. They are like sheep in need of a shepherd. As much as Jesus is grieved by the death of John, he is also grieved to see the people without a shepherd. And so he has compassion on them, and he becomes their good shepherd. He has compassion on them by teaching them of the Lord and his righteousness. He speaks with wisdom, and he feeds his people. He takes a few small loaves of bread, gives thanks, and gives it to them to eat, and they are all fed. Scene three, back in Jerusalem, about three years later. A dying man hangs on a cross. He is about 30 years old, in the prime of his life. His body bears the bruises and scars of many beatings. 
Above his head is a sign that reads, The King of the Jews. And he is the King, the true Son of David, and yet David's Lord, the one true King of Israel. He is their shepherd, the good shepherd, the one who knows his sheep, who cares for his sheep, who feeds his sheep, the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. He heals the sick, gives strength to the weak, and to the poor he gives the riches of his kingdom. His throne is the cross, and his crown is made of thorns. He is the true savior of his people. He saves them not from Babylon or Rome, but from the enemies of sin, death, and the devil himself. His death brings people real peace, reconciling them with God the Father. Jesus had entered Jerusalem five days earlier to the shouts of the crowd, Hosanna, save us, O son of David. He spoke in the temple courts with authority. He told the leaders of the people to repent. He spoke to them as no one else had dared to speak. He is not a yes man. He is the Lord himself, the righteous one, the true Zedekiah of whom Jeremiah had spoken. The night before his death, he had hosted a royal banquet. He prepared a table for his disciples. He took bread, gave thanks, and gave it to them with the words, this is my body. And so the good shepherd fed his sheep. Scene four, about 2,000 years later, several thousand miles away. A crowd gathers inside a building made of brick, stone, and wood. They are the poor, the sick, and the weak. But they are not without a shepherd. They are cared for by one called pastor. He is not a yes man. He is the Lord's man, and so he speaks with authority. He stands in line with the prophets. He calls the people to repent and return to the Lord. The crowd has been gathered to meet their king. The scattered flock has been gathered by the good shepherd. You have been gathered here today to meet your king, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. You have been granted a royal audience. You are clothed with royal garments of your baptism. And you have come to beg for mercy from your king. Lord, have mercy, you have cried. And your king has come to meet you. He is here now with his royal servants, the holy angels, and he makes this place his palace, his royal throne room. He welcomes you into his presence. He grants you pardon for the offenses that you have committed and the times that you have broken his law. He has compassion on you by teaching you. He graciously hears your requests and petitions and he receives the gifts you have brought for him. Hosanna, 
Save us, son of David, you sing. And he does. He saves you from your enemies, from sin, death, and the devil. He brings you here to his royal banquet. He has prepared a table for you. He feeds you with the very bread of life, his own body and blood. He gives you his righteousness. He gives you a new name, Zedekiah. The Lord is now your righteousness. He blesses you and sends you on your way in peace. The final scene, the heavenly Jerusalem as described by St. John. I look and behold a great crowd which no one could number from every nation and tribe and people and tongue standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. And they were crying out in a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits upon the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels standing around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures fell before the throne upon their faces and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and strength belong to our God forever and ever. Amen. And one of the elders addressed me, saying, These clothed in white robes, who are they? And from where have they come? And I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are those who have come out of the great tribulation, they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and worship him day and night in his temple. And the one seated upon the throne will make his dwelling with them. They will not hunger, nor will they thirst. The sun will not beat upon them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe every tear from their eyes. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.